so many great lines in all these songs that we sing around Christmas time and that we sung today, but probably the most powerful words that we sang this morning were the words in that song we just sang that said, Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. Amen? How many of you believe that today, that Christ is the Lord? Yeah, Christos Kurios. Christ is the Lord. If you have a Bible today, let's go to Acts chapter 17. And as you're turning there, let me just say it's great to see you guys. Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm still waiting to receive some of your presents. I'm sure they're in the mail, so I look forward. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful time, wonderful Christmas with your family and, and friends. And uh, it kind of makes Sunday a little hard when it's the day after Christmas because I know everybody's a little tired and all of us uh, are kind of having a sugar crash probably about now. Today probably would have been a good day to pass out donuts on the way into church just to sort of keep us afloat. Listen, if you happen to be uh, visiting with us today, you're a guest, a friend here at Grace Life, we're thankful that you're here. If you would like to know more about Grace Life, there's a tab on our worship guide. Somebody probably handed you one of those when you came in. And if you would like for us to know you, we would like to have that opportunity. And uh, the way you could do that is just by on that tearaway tab. You could tell us who you are and how we might could reach out to you and answer any questions you might have or any way we could minister to you or serve you, pray for you. We'd be honored to do that. If you're interested in coming to our next membership class to learn more about Grace Life, to get a free meal and free child care, that's coming up on January the 9th. And you can also sign up for that class on that tearaway tab as well. And uh, if you're looking for where you could put those tabs when the services are over by that door and by this door over here, there's these clear containers. You can drop those in there. Or if you're a little more technologically inclined, there's a QR code. You can scan that and it'll open up on your phone and you can do everything there on your phone as well. And you don't have to drop anything in the box. All right. So we'd be happy for you to do that today. Let me remind you that we don't have anything going on here at church this Wednesday night. We're just taking a break in between Christmas and New Year, so make a note of that. That break's not going to last for long, though, because we got a big thing coming up. January 14th, 15th, and 16th, we're taking a retreat for our sixth grade all the way through our college. Our entire student ministry has been so long since we got them all together, and so we want to have an opportunity to do that, get, get them away from here and outside their zip codes for a little while. Uh, Pastor Bryant has got that trip at $50 a student. It costs way more than that, but we're just able to underwrite that with some resources that we have in our student ministry. And we would love for your students, your children, your grandchildren, sixth grade through college to be a part of that. If you want to find out more about that, it's yourgracelife.com slash Timberlake, as in Justin. Yourgracelife.com slash Timberlake. Why Timberlake? Because we're going to a camp called Camp Timberlake out in West Alabama. That's become one of our favorite places to go. So we would love uh, to have our students out there to be a part of that with us. Well, as you are well aware, yesterday we celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. We continue to celebrate that, obviously, today. Isn't it amazing that Jesus came into the very world that he created? And he came into our world to change it. He came into this world to change it and to change us. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, that famous Christmas narrative, the angel said, don't be afraid. I proclaim to you good news of great joy for all the people. A Savior has been born. 
God has come. Emmanuel, God with us, and he has come to change the world. He's come to bring joy to all the nations. Now, consider this. He's God in flesh, and he's born in the midst of the stench of animals and manure. He's born in the middle of poverty and in the middle of a scandal to an unwed mom, right? Think about this. He only lived 33 years, and then he died a criminal's death on a Roman Roman cross. Forty days after that, he has amassed a total following of about 120 people. And yet, none other has ever walked this planet that changed the world like he did. H.G. Wells, famous writer from 100 years ago or so, and an unbeliever, an atheist, a socialist. This is what H.G. Wells said. He said, I'm a historian, and I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is inescapably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is the most dominant figure in all history. That's what he said. Nobody has ever walked this planet that has done more for human rights than Jesus. In the day that he walked this planet in the first century, the idea that all men are created equal was an unknown concept. But Jesus brought that ideal into the world. That comes from him, and it comes from the people who followed him in the first century. 2,000 years ago, children weren't even considered to be fully human. They weren't considered to be people. And so infanticide ran rampant before Jesus came into the world. The mildest of deformities or an unpreferred gender was cause enough to murder a child. But Jesus stepped into that world and Jesus said, let these children come to me. He said, for my kingdom is such as these. And his followers began taking care of and loving and protecting children. Jesus is the one, by the way, that changed the status of women in society. That's not something that happened in the suffrage movement 100 years ago in this country. That started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into the world. He taught us and he displayed for us that women weren't property as they were considered to be in the first century, but that they were people with equal value to any other person on the planet. And in fact, Jesus had female followers. Another word for that is disciples. An unheard of fact for a Jewish rabbi in the first century. Christianity in the first century was Filled with a diverse mix of slave and free and poor and wealthy and men and women and old and young and Jew and Gentile. Christianity, as you know, was the source of the abolitionist movement in Great Britain and eventually into our own country here in the United States. 
you may not know this, but our modern education systems, they come from Christianity. They come from Jesus and his followers. His instructions in Matthew 28, before he left this earth, was to go and to teach all nations, right? And, and, and think about this now. That motivated, that propelled his followers to champion worldwide global literacy and great institutions like Oxford and Harvard and Yale and really the entire Western system of education arose because of Jesus and because of Christianity. Modern science, as we know it, is a result of followers of Jesus Christ. Humanitarian aid, by the way, throughout history has had no greater friend than Christianity and followers of Jesus. More hospitals have been built in the name of Jesus than any other organization on the earth. More charitable donations have been provided for the poor and for the vulnerable, for the marginalized in society. Those have come from followers of Jesus more than any other group or organization in the world. Why? Because Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for who? For me. And, and those are just some of the important ways that Jesus has changed the world like nobody else has ever changed the world. And those are important. But those aren't even the most important ways that Jesus has changed the world. Luke says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Paul writes to Timothy, This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We're not just talking about equal rights and humanitarian aid and hospitals being built. We're talking about souls and salvation, eternity. Jesus himself speaking to a religious individual by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is no doubt. Jesus Christ came into the world to change the world, and he has, and he still is. Today, he's changing the world through you, through me, through us, through his church, at least temporarily. Our time here is limited. We're either going to come face to face with him in rapture or in death, but until that day comes, he is still changing the world through His church, through the power and the presence of His Holy Spirit working in us and through us, He is still today changing the world. And we've been working our way through the book of Acts since last May. I think this is Sermon 27 or 28 in this series. And Acts is just simply really the, the history of how after Jesus ascends back into heaven, He sends His Holy Spirit and He continues the work of changing the world through people. Through redeemed people, through saved people, through his church. God's working through his church to change the world. And we see that in the book of Acts. Person after person, 
place after place. We've been tracking along and watching redemption happen, restoration happen, reconciliation to God happen, and between others happen. Three weeks ago, we found Paul on his second mission trip. In chapter 16 of Acts, God miraculously, really, you could say, through a vision, called Paul to hang a sharp left and go to the continent of Europe. And when he gets to Europe, the first stop in that place is a place called Philippi. And after a very brief but very powerful, spirit-filled time there in Philippi, Paul left behind a bunch of followers of Jesus. A new church was started there, the first church in Europe was started in this place called Philippi. And with the help of people like a lady that we met, and I think we all admire from what we know of her, Lydia, with people like her, others like a former demon-possessed slave girl and a jailer in his household, a bunch of prisoners, they all now have community together brothers and sisters in Christ in this place called Philippi where they get to lean on one another and serve alongside and worship alongside each other. But, but that great work had come at a price, right? You remember that, Paul and Silas? They took a beating. Got beat really within an inch of their life. Got thrown into the dungeon of the dungeons there in Philippi and it cost them much. But Paul pressed on. Why? Because he believed with all of his heart that Jesus was still changing the world. That he was working through people to change the world for the glory of God. And so Paul continues to advance the kingdom of God in this world. And in Acts chapter 17, we see that today. And he advances the change of God, the work of God, into a place called Thessalonica. Now, I believe like Paul did. That God's still changing the world today through his church. That's, that's why I'm here. And, and, and just to be honest with you, I got, a, I got a little bit of a sense of urgency about that. You might have noticed that about me. But I'm, I'm, I'm well aware that 50, 60 years from now, most of us in this room are going to be forgotten. Today's an important day, is it not? What we do today for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ, to advance His kingdom, that's important. And I know that you believe, like I believe, that God is still changing the world, that He desires to do that. And if that's true, then I think we need to ask this today. As we begin to move into a new year, what's going to have to be true of us? What's going to have to be true of us if we are going to be used by Jesus in 2022 to make an impact for his glory for his purposes in the year that we're about to move into what has to be true of us well let me say this if we're going to change the world for jesus in our day number one is this our message has to be clear our message has to be clear there's a lot of messages in the world today there's a, man, we live in the information age. We're all being bombarded by information constantly. And now more than ever, Christ followers, our message has got to ring clear. Above all other messages that are being proclaimed in the world. Look at verse 1 of Acts chapter 17. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns 
of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. And there was a Jewish synagogue there. Everywhere, by the way, you've probably noticed this, everywhere Paul's traveling, he gets to a place and he's looking for a Jewish synagogue. That's his background. That's his education. That's who he is. So that's his starting place. That gives him a place to begin in this new place because he knows how to maneuver in that setting. And so unlike Philippi, where there was no synagogue, he finds a Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. And the Bible says for three Sabbaths in a row, and probably for all the days in between those three Sabbaths, Paul is having conversations with people. And and what is the subject matter of these conversations? What is he talking about in those three weeks that he's there in Philippi? Look at verse 2. The Bible says, As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scriptures to reason with the people. Now, this would have only been the Old Testament for a couple of reasons. One, he's having conversations with Jewish people, so that was their Scriptures. And secondly, he's only using the Old Testament because the New Testament is under construction. In the very early days of being under construction at that point. And I want to I point out a word in verse 2 that I love that really jumps out at me. Because I think this is a connecting point with all of us in this room. I think sometimes for the people in the audience, the average churchgoer, you read the book of Acts and it's kind of like, reading and hearing about the accounts of preachers and evangelists and missionaries. And I just got to tell you today, it's really not that complicated. The work of God that's going on through the book of Acts is not going on through the spiritual elites of the church. And so I want you to see this particular word there in verse 2. It's the word reason. It says that for three Sabbaths in a row, Paul used the scriptures to reason with the people. The, The Greek word that... Luke uses here is the word dialegomai. Dialegomai. That's where our word in English dialogue comes from. So verse 2 could be understood like this. Paul used the scriptures to dialogue with the people. Do you know the difference? You, you, you know what a monologue is, right? A monologue is what I'm doing right now. It's a long, tedious <laughs> speech that somebody's given. I enjoy delivering some monologues, you know, but I really love dialogues. I really love when we get to sit and it's two-way. I talk a little, you talk a little, and you listen and I listen, and we go back and forth. And I think we sort of have this idea as we read the book of Acts that Paul is just going around with his little portable karaoke machine and microphone, and he's standing out on street corners yelling at people and preaching hellfire and brimstone. When the reality, I think, is more like this. He's just having conversations with people. Conversations that are like the conversations you and I have every day. Just about normal stuff. Every day, common, ordinary things. But in that, Paul is working in a very intentional way to move that conversation. But he's just having conversations. Can anybody in this room today do that? Anybody in this room capable of having a conversation? I think everybody in this room can do that. Everybody in this room can carry on a conversation with somebody. We can all do that. We have conversations all the time. But listen, if we want to change the world for Jesus in our day, then our message has got to be clear. 
within those conversations. If we want to see God change just one person's life, then we got to give ourselves to making sure that our conversations have a message that's clear. And that message, like Paul's message, like his, his dialogues, his conversations, need to be grounded in the Word of God. And they got to point to Jesus. And that's what Paul does. He has these conversations, and they revolve around Scripture. And from that, he points people to Jesus. Look at verse 3. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead... He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Paul is simply having conversations with people. But he moves those conversations to the truth of God's word. And then from God's word, he points people to Jesus, to who Jesus is. He wants these people to know who Jesus is. And that's all you and I got to do in 2022. To impact the world for Jesus. It's just give ourselves to this. God, show me in every conversation I have how I can move that conversation to Scripture. How I can move that conversation to Jesus. we got to make our minds up that we want to make the Bible and Jesus himself the topic of our conversations. Not sports, not the weather, not politics. Those things are... Fine to talk about, but let's not be known this year for being the guy that always talks about sports. Let's not be known this year for being the person who always talks politics. Let's not be known for the person this year who's always talking about their job. Let the world know us, Grace Life, this year as the people who can't stop talking about Jesus. That every conversation somehow, strangely, ends up with Jesus. Let's strive to be intentional this year to do that. And listen, if you're sitting here thinking, man, pastor, I really want to do that, but I'm just not good at that. You know how you can get good at doing that? Just start doing that. Just start practicing. Just start practicing, and it'll get easier. I, I know at first it may feel weird and unnatural and forced and awkward, but the more you practice, the more natural it's going to become, the easier that it's going to get. And listen, what brings God more glory and honor anyway? You having a conversation about Jesus that might be a little awkward or having a real smooth conversation with things that really don't matter? Hey, Grace Life, I would just say this. Let's embrace that awkward. And it won't be awkward for long. Because if we want to make a difference for the Lord Jesus in 2022, if we're going to change the world for Jesus in our day, our message has got to be clear. It's got to emerge out of the fog. Right? And it's got to ring clear to the people that we're having conversations with. Have conversations that point to Jesus, okay? So not only does our message have to be clear if we're going to make a difference for Jesus this year, but number two, our outlook has got to be confident. Our outlook as we go about living for Jesus, as we go about having these dialogues and these conversations, our outlook has got to be confident. And this is frankly why many of us aren't having a lot of these Jesus-centered conversations. Because we're not really confident that it's going to go well. 
We're afraid. We're afraid that I don't know what to say. We're afraid that we're going to kind of get caught off guard. Some hard questions are going to come, and I don't have the answers to those questions. And you're not going to have the answers to most of those questions, and neither will I. One of the greatest things we can do in these Jesus-centered conversations is sometimes to say, you know what, I don't know. But I want to pray about that, and I want to look into that, and I want to study that, and how about we get back together for round two, right? But we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to fail. We're afraid we're going to mess it up somehow. Listen, Grace Life, the reality is the power of the gospel to save people from their sin is not contingent on your conversational skills. The pressure's off of us. Those who want to change the world for Jesus have to be reminded that ultimately it's not us changing the world. It's Christ in us. At work, people respond to the Holy Spirit's call. People respond to the Holy Spirit's call, not to our conversation. Remember Lydia back in Philippi? What did the Bible say about her? God opened her what? Her heart. Paul didn't open her heart. Silas didn't open her heart. That was Almighty God that opened up her heart to trust and believe Christ. So let me ask you a question. You may not today feel confident that you can lead somebody to Jesus. But how many of you today would say, I am confident, though, that the Holy Spirit can lead somebody to Jesus? Well, if you're confident that the Holy Spirit can lead somebody to Jesus, then you need to get confident that the Holy Spirit wants to and will lead somebody to Jesus through you. And so we got to have a confident outlook. Paul had a confident outlook wherever he went that somebody's life was going to be changed by Jesus. Somebody's life was going to be changed by the power of the gospel. And his confidence was in God and not in himself. And so he just kept going from place to place and person to person. There were beatings and imprisonments and intimidation tactics. And all that didn't, didn't cause Paul to lose his confidence in God. And in God's ability to change another person's life. So he just kept on having these Jesus-centered conversations. They all weren't home runs. They all weren't grand slams. They weren't even all base hits. Sometimes they took the bat away from him and hit him with it. But he just kept on having these conversations. He never lost confidence in God's ability to change people. Look at verse 4. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. What's happening? What's happening here? Lives are being changed. Another city is being impacted by the truth of Jesus. The gospel has reached Thessalonica, Jews, Gentiles, men and women are all being changed there, not by Paul but by the power of God. What's Paul doing? Paul has a message that's clear. He's got an outlook that's confident. God is working in that and through that to change lives and to change the world for his glory. Grace Life, listen, if we're going to make a difference in the year 2022 for the cause of Christ, same thing's got to be true of us. Our message has got to be clear. And our outlook has got to be confident. And number three, our hearts have got to be courageous. 
Look at verse 5. But some of the Jews were jealous. That's happened before to Paul, right? And so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. You understand what's happening here? The Jews are jealous. This is a telling symptom about the Jewish people in Thessalonica. They're sick. They're sick with idolatry. They don't recognize God as God. They don't embrace God as God. They don't love Him or submit to Him. This is idolatry. Any of you ever struggle with idolatry from time to time where priorities just get out of whack and we're instead of open-handed before God, we're closed up? And have you ever noticed that we start doing weird things when people start messing with our idols? It, it makes us nervous. And so we start to act in strange ways. We get defensive. And this is what the Jewish people are doing here because their idols are being threatened. And this jealousy among the Jews results in more trouble for Paul. And this has been happening consistently in his ministry. It's predictable, really, at this point. Jews are going to get angry. Paul's going to take a beating. And yet... What's Paul doing here? He's pressing on courageously, courageously with the mission that God's called him to. He didn't recoil. He didn't retreat. He just kept moving, just kept stepping, just kept advancing with the gospel. And look at verse 5. They attacked, that mob attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Apparently, this guy named Jason is one of the first people that comes to know Jesus in Thessalonica. It seems God's already raising Jason up to be a primary leader in the church at Thessalonica. His house has already become really a, a gathering place. You can imagine this is where they're, they're praying and they're studying and they're worshiping the Lord. Jason and the believers that are there are drug out. And the Bible says that they said of them, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. All over the world. And now they're disturbing our city too. That's an amazing line. They have caused trouble all over the world because they've only been in Thessalonica for like weeks. They've only been on the continent of Europe for three and a half months. And now they're being told that these people have changed the entire world. Look, if you're Paul, that's a compliment, right? That's where we're headed because that's why Jesus came. He came to change the whole world. And he has and he is and he still is through his church today. In verse 7 says, Jason has welcomed them into his home and they are all. They're not just talking about Paul and Silas now. They're talking about the church. They're talking about Christians they are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. Here, here's their beef. Something's different about these people. There, there is something that is off about them compared to everybody else in the Roman Empire. They're, they're not like us. In fact, they say here that they are guilty of something here. They're guilty of treason. Against Caesar. See, we just sang a Christmas song that said, Christ is the Lord. But in the Roman Empire, you would sing, 
Caesar is the Lord, right? But that's not what the Christians are singing anymore. That's not what they're saying anymore. That's not what they're proclaiming anymore. And as far as Rome is concerned, they're guilty of treason against Caesar. To acknowledge any other king but Caesar was one of the most serious crimes in the Roman Empire. It's it's what prompted Herod, by the way, to slaughter baby boys in Bethlehem. Because a rumor was swirling that treason was in the works. Because a Jewish king was being born. It was for allegedly claiming to be a rival earthly ruler to Caesar that Jesus himself was hung on a Roman cross. Failure to bow and to worship Caesar as Lord is ultimately what cost Paul and many other followers of Jesus their lives in the first century. See, these Christians were persecuted and were often killed, but not because they worshipped Jesus. Rome was pagan. Rome was polytheistic. You could worship whatever God, however you chose to worship that God. So this is not a case of Rome just doesn't like this particular religion. Rome doesn't like this particular God. Rome could not have cared less about anybody's religion. They could not have cared less about anybody's God. The issue for Rome was Kaiser Curias. Caesar is Lord. You see, in the Roman Empire, you could worship whoever you wanted to, as long as you still proclaimed Kaiser Curias. Caesar is Lord, King. My ultimate, my final source of authority. Rome said to their citizens, all you got to do is just give a nod, give a pinch of incense, and recognize that Caesar is Lord and we'll leave you alone. And Paul and Silas and many other Christians said, we will be your best citizens. And we will be your most obedient citizens. But when Caesar claims something as his that only belongs to God, then we will humbly resist out of obedience and honor for our Lord. And they would not unite themselves to the empire. They would not simply go along to get along. They would not live by the lie that said, Kaiser Curios, Caesar is Lord, because they knew the truth. And they were willing to not only live for that truth, but to die for that truth. And the truth is, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. The stand that Paul and these Christians took was courageous, and it changed the world. Christ. And listen, Grace Life, if we want to change the world for God in 2022, our hearts are going to have to be courageous.
Our courage, like theirs, will also be tested. There may be times that the Caesars and the powers of this world may test our resolve to cherish and to acknowledge the supremacy of Christ as our Lord. And when those moments come, we're going to need the courage to stand. But, let's be honest. The greatest threat for the lordship of our lives is not found outside of us in some political office. That's the easy one to rally behind. (laughs) But the greatest threat for the lordship of our lives is found within us. In our own sin nature. See, our sin nature wants us to live not as if Christos, Kyrios, Christ is Lord. But our sin nature wants us to live as if money, curios, career, curios, pleasure, curios, self, curios. All these things, we are enticed to make them the Lord of our lives. And when the battle within or without is being fought over the throne of our hearts this year, May we have the courage to stand against the world and the flesh and the devil and say, Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And he's my Lord. If we're going to change the world for Jesus in our day, and by the way, our mission for changing the world and for Jesus in our day is probably a lot easier than it was for Paul in his day. But the truth is, it's probably harder in 2022 for us than it was in 2012 for us. Or in 2002 or 1982. And I'm reminded by the challenges that we find ourselves facing. This scene in Lord of the Rings between Frodo and Gandalf says this, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us. Grace Life, this is the time that's been given to us. The mission hasn't changed. Jesus came to change the world. And he's left us here for this moment, for this time. To continue that work. And we've got to decide what are we going to do with this time. Are we going to waste it? We're going to waste it on sports and politics and money and temporary fleeting things. Or will he be the burning center of our lives and our conversations? Another two sentences from Lord of the Rings. Don't adventures ever have an end? I suppose not. Someone else always has to carry on the story. I'm excited that it's our turn to carry on the story. I'm excited that we get to do that together, Lord willing, Grace Life, in the coming year. But our message has got to be clear. Our outlook has got to be confident. And our hearts have got to be courageous. Our Jesus 
Emmanuel, God in flesh, is without a doubt the most influential person in history. He has changed the world like none other. But he's not finished yet. That's why we're here and not in heaven with him. He's still working in us and through us to accomplish his purposes and his plans. But listen, before he will use us to change the world, he wants to start by changing us. And this is a great place for me and you to stop on this last Sunday of this year and just invite the Holy Spirit to do a little inventory in our hearts right now and in our lives. Because I believe we do want to be world changers for God's glory. But the question now is, God, first, what do you want to change in me? Search me and try me, God. Examine my heart. Maybe today Jesus wants to change you by bringing you from death to life, from lostness to salvation. Maybe today Jesus wants to change you by bringing you out of complacency and apathy, maybe to a sense of rededication of yourself as a follower of the Lord. Or, or maybe today Jesus wants to change you by drawing you to repentance, by turning you from going the wrong way and back toward pursuing him. With your heads bowed and with your eyes closed, can I just invite you where you sit right now to invite the Lord to examine your heart and your life. Man, the things that God desires to do in us and through us. How he wants to use us to change this world with his grace, with his gospel, with his love, with the hope that we have in Jesus. For our life to be lived with purpose every step of the journey. But that journey starts here today, inviting him to change us. You need to call out on the Lord to save you today. Would you do that? If you're not sure where to start, in just a minute, I'll be here at the front. I'd be happy to help you. If you're not sure where to go from here, or as you close out this year and begin to move into another year, maybe there just needs to be that sense of a fresh start, a rededication of yourself as a child of God, as a Christ follower as his ambassador in this world. Or maybe there's been some habit, some thought pattern, some activity that's become a part of your life in a regular way this year that you don't want to walk out of this room with it today. You don't want to walk into another week with it another year with it would you lay it before him today God we bow before you so very grateful that we by your grace are a part of this grand story that you are writing 
the story of how Jesus put on flesh, came into the world that he made, the world that we broke with our sin and our rebellion, loved us anyway, lived perfectly, sinlessly, died as our substitute on the cross, so perfect that his father would raise him as proof, raise him from the dead on the third day. That you would ascend into heaven to serve as our high priest, interceding for us, praying for us. That you would send your Holy Spirit to dwell in us. That we would have power from on high. That the work that Jesus began in his 33 and a half years would continue through his body, the church, his bride. So God, here we are today as your people, and our time here is short. And on this side of glory, we'll soon be forgotten. But you are worthy of every beat of our heart. You are worthy of every step that we take. We humble ourselves before you today, Lord, and say, God, we want to change the world, but we can't do it until you change us. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us as we are, but you love us too much to leave us like that. Thank you for changing us today. We want our lives to be a reflection of who you are, Jesus. We want our lives to be a song whose theme is the truth of the gospel and that that message would ring clear, that our outlook would be confident and our hearts would be courageous as we follow you into the steps that you have laid before us this year. We will thank you in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand. And let's worship the Lord and continue to respond to him today.